You're listening to episode five of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, The Gender Zeitgeist Part Two. We pick up where we left off, discussing the ongoing impact of Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. Because of her book, these people are forming more and more of these lean in circles. Mm-hmm. And as you remember from the 80s and 90s, we um, very much encouraged women to form internal organizational yes. groups right. where they would have a place and a space to talk about what was happening to them um, so that they could understand it and they could feel less isolated and come up with good, healthy strategies. And then those organizations, you know, which many, which existed in many places, um, really sort of fell away and fell into disfavor. And guess what? Harvard Business Review is touting now as one of the solutions to second-generation gender bias. Yeah. Second generation gender bias, by the way, I think is a ludicrous term. When I read what they're defining as second generation gender bias, I got to tell you, it was there in 1.0 gender bias and in, you know, beta tested gender bias. I mean, it's been there. All these things have been there all along. Uh, Yeah, no kidding. It's just hysterical. Right. Yeah. Right. And and when they say that... um, um, that one of the important solutions is educating people about what that means and then allowing or encouraging women to form groups where they can talk about that. I just, I mean, I'm like, hello? I mean, really? Is that the best you can come up with? Right. But, okay. Well, you know, car manufacturers still haven't figured out that it'd be important to have a place in a car for your purse to go. So if, <laughs> after all these decades and decades of focus on car design, so I guess it's not so surprising to me that some of these other gl- blinding glimpses of the obvious aren't, yeah. uh, aren't in play. Yeah. <laughs> and then they talk about the idea of creating safe space um, you mm-hmm. know, for I- identity development so giving women a place where they can um, to learn, to experiment, um, and a community where they can talk, blah, 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 right. um, is the Women's Center for Leadership not yeah. doing that for 12 years now? That's right. That's I right. mean, yeah. and? Yeah. Well, women have been doing it for themselves for many years. Yeah. Because it wasn't forthcoming somewhere else. Yeah. And... Um, and so these aren't these aren't new ideas, but they may be new ideas to certain demographics um, who need to hear it from the Harvard Business Review before it's real. And to sponsor it at a corporate level again, yeah. like yes. like like they used to, um, right? Although. You know, there is something interesting and, and, and healthy about having it not be in any way, in, in essence, tied to the organization. Because there's, there isn't, like when women 
come to a WOCAL meeting and they hear some interesting idea or they hear about some new version, of, if you will, of second generation <laughs> gender bias, right. and they raise issues or questions about it, I don't ever hear anybody wondering if it's safe to do that because they're talking with people who are not part of their organization. That's right. So there's no one to carry a message back. Right. And, you know, that has some merit, too. Um, yeah. So I, I wonder, well, maybe, yeah. there's a, maybe there's a place for both, um, both corporately sponsored and not. Right. But, you know, there was one part of the, um, that particular article that I thought was interesting, which actually was um, kind of a slightly different take on things. I don't know if you remember that um, at the end of that article, they were talking about the importance of leadership purpose. Yeah. And they were using as an example uh, Hillary Clinton, and they were saying that the story mm -hmm. was never so much about what she said as it was about how she looked when she was saying it. Yeah. And then they went on and they said that, you know, as you're managing that trade-off between likability and competence, right. um, you know, um, there's you spend a lot of time managing people's right. perceptions of you. And this line kind of caught my attention. Overinvestment in one's image diminishes the emotional and motivational resources available for larger purposes. People who focus on how others perceive them are less clear about their goals, less open to learning from failure, and less capable of self-regulation. I do not see why those two sentences are tied together. It seems to me that there are actually two separate points being made there. And I, I question both of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Go ahead. You know, is that is that saying to people? Well, if you spend, it, it reminds me of a message that my very close friend Karen got went in in the seventies when her boss said to her in her annual review, "I notice that your nails are always beautifully done, polished." You know, really nice. Anybody who's spending that much time taking care of their nails is not can't be working hard enough. And Karen, how much time do you suppose he spends polishing his golf clubs? No, this was another woman. <laughs> oh, another woman. Another okay. woman said this to her, and Karen sat there and was totally stupefied. Like, okay, what what do you say to something like that? So, so does this mean I'm supposed to come in with my hands looking kind of raggedy and whatever because my boss doesn't think I should take 20 minutes on a Sunday night and do my nails while I'm relaxing watching TV? What, what kind of a value judgment is that? And, and here in 2013 is, is the same comment being made, dandied up a little bit, yeah. by three women 
who were experts in this field and highly respected. Yeah. Um, I mean, Deborah Cole, Rob and Eli, and, and yeah. you know, Hermione Ibarra are, were the authors of this article, and they are women who have written extensively. Um, you know, and I, I've met briefly, you know, Robin um, at the Centers for Gender at right. Simmons. And I mean, you know, th- by anybody's stretch, these are, right. these are academics and practitioners of the highest order. But aren't they saying the same thing? You know, okay, you could probably be decently groomed or whatever, but don't be too well-groomed or too fussy about how you look because then people will pay attention more to how you look than what you say. What? Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty global statement. Yeah. Yeah. The other part of that, when it when it's about worrying about what other people think about how you look and whatever, I, that part I understand. Yeah, but just but, because you look nice doesn't mean that you're worried about it. Exactly. <laughs> and if you've gotten to a place in your life, as many women by certainly 45, 50, 55, where they have a certain sense of how they package themselves, how they dress, what they're comfortable with. Why is that suddenly... Even a question. Yeah, suddenly subject to scrutiny in this way. I That just jumped out at me, and I, I just... I was kind of shocked by it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I see why. Well, in the next sentence, too, this assumption that... Well, it almost sounds to me like an introvert-extrovert question. Not, not a, you know, it's like, are you in tune with what's going on in the outside world and connected with that and making your, your decisions based on feedback you're getting from the outside world? Or are you really just focused on your own internal intentions and, or, you know, and I'm, I'm, obviously exaggerating yeah. the difference, but do you do you tap into and tune into your own internal intentions and thoughts and and um, and you know don't really care what the rest of the world thinks? Is I mean it's kind of a it's kind yeah. of framing yeah. it in those yeah. terms as yeah. if yeah. all women are extroverted, all men are introverted or something. Right. Which doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, we, we know or, that's claptrap. So. Right. Or the message is, to me, when I read this, if you're a serious person yeah. and you have serious intent about what you want to do, what you want to accomplish, you won't make very much time for what is all this frivolous. Right. Do we not know some men... Who, <laughs> you know, like wearing how much are Briani loafers, you know, right, from right. Italy for, you know, $800 or whatever? Right. I mean, really, does anybody think that Donald Trump doesn't spend a lot of time? I mean, you, managing the hair. Managing his hair, right? I don't, we don't like it, but, but he has a certain way in which he, he is pres- comfortable presenting himself to the world. And that no one says because he looks the way he looks 
And aside from the hair, he always yeah. wears, I guess, right. really nice suits and whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, do we do we even talk about that? Yeah. No. No. So. Yeah, I recently wow. heard an argument that said Hillary said someone was making the assumption that Hillary Clinton couldn't possibly be happy that they are making a biographical TV movie or something about her because she would have to be embarrassed by all those past hairstyles. <laughs> As if that was what she was really worried about during that period of time, right? I mean, it's, you know, uh, that's, yeah. And, and the thing is how pe people who have no personal time no time when they're just taking care of themselves and their families away from work. Mm -hmm. I mean, that brings us back to kind of some of the work-life balance things. You cannot be a good contributor if you never look away. Right. I mean, in the, in the Agile world now, um, a guy, Francisco Creo, created this way of doing work that's called Pomodoros, which says you're actually more productive if you'll work for 25 minutes and then take five minutes and go wander off and look at the sky, you know, do something mm -hmm. else, do mm -hmm. something completely different. Mm -hmm. Many folks now are saying, go for a walk in the middle of the workday, go for, get away from work. Otherwise you are not going to be creative. Mm -hmm. Who knows, but that your colleague back in the seventies, her most brilliant thoughts may have come to her when she was doing her nails. Just like many of us have in the shower. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy idea to, to say you, you have to focus only on work and exclusively on work if you want to get anything done. Because and that that means, well, and furthermore, and that that means you, you have to do it in a way that looks like everybody else does it Right. In a recognizable way, which means sitting, you know, at a right. desk or in front of a computer, I actually right. do my most creative thinking. No kidding, when I am putting makeup on, I don't know why, but there is something about that where there's a certain kind of sequence. It's a bit of a routine, but so so part of my mind you know is following doing that, your routine but the other part of my mind is kind of free to wander and there's something about playing with the colors or whatever that frees my mind and i have my best thoughts then and i have learned now i keep a pad of paper right next to where i keep my makeup so i can jot little notes to myself because if I wait till later in the day, I can't remember it. Right. I just can't. And so it's almost, it's almost like, like you are like it, sort of at the end of a dream, a little bit of a right. dream state. Or that liminal space when you first wake up. Right. Yeah. And if you don't write that stuff down, you know, most of us can't remember it. Mm -hmm. Well, somehow I'm like in the zone when I'm right. doing that. And so that's how I when I was working on my own simple rules for myself, that's how I was doing it. I had a piece of paper right next to me, and over the course of a month, I kept sort of scratching them out or writing a word or an image mm -hmm. or whatever, and that's how I got to that. That was the only time I worked on that. Yeah. 
So would somebody say to me, if you have enough time in your day to put makeup on, you should you you're you're too you're not busy enough. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. So we we found a lot to criticize in this particular <laughs> HBR article, a set of articles in this issue. Um, what do we think about it overall? I mean, I you know I have to say I hate the cover. Um, but maybe that's just the appearance. Maybe they worked too hard on their appearance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and maybe, maybe these, the three words are so big and that you don't see the, you don't see the rest of it, the rest of it, which does explain it. And, um, knowing, as you said, that they really, um, I'm sure were leveraging all of the, um, brouhaha right now from, from the Lean In book and so on, and kind of striking while the iron is hot, because um, it is a very topical thing right now. On the other hand, I'm glad it's coming back around, Absolutely. and I'm glad that some some publication, like the Harvard Business Review, which is sort of the quintessence of mainstream management thinking, that this is showing up. Absolutely. And they had a good article um, in June about about women on corporate boards. Yes, and what that looks like, and kind of what the situation is there, which is sort of getting better, but it's not any too good. Yeah, still dire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, both numerically and in terms of the influence those women are able to exert. Right. Right. Um, but. Um, so yes, I agree with you totally. I, yeah. I think it's very it, it's it's great that the conversation's resurfacing. Yeah, um, and we don't mean to discount everything they're saying. No. Although we like we wish they had adjusted the way they said it in some cases. Right. Yeah. Right. Because those things that were people were doing in the seventies and eighties really were valuable, and if right. they're going to come back around again now, that's a good thing. It's just weird to call it second generation. It's like, you know, the first generation never really went away. Right. Is basically Well, I think the notion is that is that, you know, bias became less overt. Yeah. And that what we're seeing now is more the residual and more, you know, the unconscious kind of stuff that people do than they don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they're calling well, it. That's their yeah, yeah. I I haven't noticed the less overtness, I guess, but um, yeah. Well, so, and I think that there are more men now. Yes. That are clearly working with. Yes, absolutely. As opposed to maybe working against. Yeah. So I think there are many, many more men now that are really trying hard to um, to make this um, an, an absolutely equal playing field. And I I think that is a difference. Yeah. And more awareness of what's beneficial to their, their partners, their wives, their, their mothers, their daughters, their sisters, their, you know, all, all their, the women, men and and women have more friendship relationships now than they had before. And I, yeah, I do think there are a far greater percentage of men who are supporting the idea that, you know, this, this kind of bias is craziness and right. is not serving us well right. in performance or productivity or revenue generation or any other thing that businesses should be focusing on. Right. 
So share with us, um, dear listeners, your your experiences with this. And have, have you read any of these recent articles? And um, where do you agree? Where do you take issue? So looking forward to next time. Please leave your comments on our blog. You can also email us, info at futureworksconsulting.com or find us on Twitter at futurewks. This has been episode five of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening.